Hello, everybody. This is your host, Aram Mulkamuf, and you're listening to another episode of the Product Innovation Series, uh, where every week on the show, we have guests come on and share their stories and wisdom on how to ship a great product. Uh, today, I'm joined by the Senior Product Manager at N26, Eduardo Ferrara Bardil. N26 is building the first mobile neobank um, that the world really loves to use, and I'm a big fan. I've been a client for three years, so really happy to uh, chat with you today uh, about your experience. Uh, just a little bit of background on Eduardo. He uh, actually doesn't come from a traditional PM background and uh, worked in uh, in the HR sector before. And Eduardo's main values, according you know to what he shared with us, is to listen to people, understand their issues, lead by example, and generate confidence. So, Eduardo, pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for that introduction. You're welcome. Uh, okay, so the first question I have for you um, is. You know, as I mentioned just you know a few seconds ago, that your background didn't come from a traditional PM education. Yeah. So, um, how does somebody like yourself, or you know, somebody who wants to get into the PM world, uh, go into it when they yeah. don't come from this traditional background and or technical background? Yeah, yeah, that totally, yeah, and probably actually when when I started being a PM, probably almost no one was coming from a PM education because now it's very popular and you have. Uh, PM-related uh, edu educations around that you can do and you become a PM. It was not in my case. I started uh, my first position as a PM as such was 2014, but I started doing similar jobs like either product owner PMs. It depends on the company. It can be the same or some difference, or sometimes it's just a role and then other thing is a title. Uh, but then also you come from business analysts and that's it, and that's, you start going there. But I started more around in that sector in 2010, 2011. Uh, so, to be honest, it was about uh, some mix of a casual thing and being curious. Uh, so I don't know, there's a funny video going around, which is a, a lady uh, walking through the street, and there's, you know, these girls that have the automatic door, and by, <laughs> by chance she gets stuck between the door and she gets pulled in inside the, the garage. And someone put, I, I read some words, someone put, this is how I started my career, because it's, it's like that. So you're just walking around and someone pushes inside there. Okay. So that's a, that's a bit my case. So as, as you mentioned, so, my background in education is in something very similar to HR. It depends from where I come from. It was had a different name, but it's basically social science oriented to, to human human resources. And I started in standard human resources position, uh, recruitment, compensation management, uh, general admin tasking in that company. Uh, I did my internship on that. I worked maybe the first year after I finished my career on that. Well, I was very curious into, into technology and how that was changing the world already in 2018, 2019, even before, of course, <laughs> that was coming from way before. And, and I started working in the first technology that was familiar to me uh, when I was in a chair, which was SAP. Uh, that was very popular, uh, still very used, but it was more popular 10 years ago. Uh, and I started being as a user there and becoming curious, 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 and becoming better at it. And then I became a consultant on SAP, uh, HR, always working on HR. Uh, and and that you start entering into these positions when you're a consultant, you're a bit of everything. When you're a consultant, you're a product manager, you are the engineer, you are the trainer, you are the salesperson as well, because you are dragging too many sales uh, meetings for you to propose what we are going to be doing. And that I started back in Venezuela, uh, which is where I come from. And at that moment, it proved to be a, actually a, 
a great decision because it was the way for me to find a job almost anywhere in the world. So it was it's technology, it's international, it's just, it have things that are different from country to country, but it's basically the same, the same, uh, the same product. And it allows me to get a job in Spain. I was looking for a job around. I wanted to, to change uh, my, my life, let's say. And I found a job actually in Barcelona. I didn't know Barcelona. I had been here for a couple of days, maybe in, in, in many years ago. But yes, I say, I, there is a job there and I, and I got in there. So I kept working as a SAP consultant. And then I, I saw that maybe I didn't want to focus only on SAP. I wanted to expand my technology. I didn't know how far SAP will go into being a popular tool. Uh, so I say it's better to learn more things. And, and as mentioned, I'm not a technical person, no intention to be a technical person, although I, I do like a lot of technical things and try to learn and can do some things on my own because I have learned. But I decided that the best way for me to, to be and based on what I was noticing, based on feedback and based on what I believe for myself that I was good already, is in, in building bridges and negotiating between what we can do basically or what can be done where it's possible and what business wants so uh, I'm a decent social person so I like to talk to people I'm not the most extrovert person but I like to talk to people and I like to be a service service oriented person so I have always been very good in this chat with the business and I also understand the HR sector which is still where I was there and yes yeah, so I became a business analyst initially uh, in a IT team. Uh, I was just, as mentioned, um, closing the gap between IT and the business. Mm -hmm. And then we started being agile, and it was the agile uh, fashion all around. And I became a product owner and then a product manager, which in the initial company uh, was two different, two different roles. But basically, it started to, to become the same. And yes, that's, that's more or less how you go. And yes, I've been almost now seven, eight years strictly as a product manager and I, I love it. It's, it gives you the possibility to 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 work in pragmatic things, but still being creative per person because you need to take your time to think and you can say, okay, this is one hour for me just to think. So you have this mix of for a person like me like like pragmatic stuff and not super artistic, but also time for me to think and create things. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, that's a, it's a really interesting background on kind of how you came uh, to where you are now. And I'm, I'm, next question I wanted to ask, I mean, your background, you were doing a lot of things in SAP. So there's a lot of data. And I, and I know that product managers in their day-to-day -day roles still need to analyze, review, and understand various forms of data, right? I'm sure you're doing that in your current role and your past roles. So I want to ask you, there's, um, you know, there's two different, um, sayings there's like you know from a product management perspective you know a lot of the pms i've spoken to they're very data driven in their decisions but then other people have been saying that you know data is one part but you need to be data aware so you know from your perspective how would you kind of compare and contrast the two different like, mindsets or approaches totally totally right and um, again not, not coming from a technical background uh, data was a difficult part for me at the beginning. Then I, I, I discovered the world of SQL and I learned to <laughs> SQL a lot. So I became an expert on that and I became a very data something else person before I answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm a strong believer on data and I think I believe that's probably uh, if you have the access to it, 
like because you already have you're working a product that is already built or you have access to certain market research that you can use uh, is the is your first point of entering into a possible problem i think but i do strongly believe uh, that data is not the only thing uh, by far and before i was saying i was more data oriented now i like more the term data aware uh, be, because the data has two two main issues, I, I would say. So first, uh, it doesn't give you everything. Not for sure. You may have a tons of data, but it won't give you everything. And second, as always, it's highly interpretable. So <laughs> it's how you will interpret data. So it doesn't mean that data is telling you something. It means that you are having some understanding from the data you have. And uh, that is your... Uh, your bias, your previous experience, your previous knowledge will make you think of data in one way. There are ways to eliminate this this concept from, from your head, but it, it's, it's a problem that we as humans have. We are not robots, we are humans, we have to be aware of that, so we will interpret that in different ways. So it's very good to, to have data as a, probably as a, I would say even a first support uh, thing to make decisions, uh, but also, and you will hear stories all around about great product leaders, great product companies that has made amazing things going against what data was telling them actually <laughs> somehow or not being fully uh, data oriented, like having a hunch on something or having some belief. I, I, I think probably Airbnb story is one of the biggest ones, like they just decided to buy the best camera ever because they were thinking that maybe they were not putting the best photos in their in their in their apartments that were renting and that was the decision there was no data telling them that you need to have the best photos ever i'm not sure if that story is 100 real i read yeah. that so you read yeah, a lot yeah. of fake news but i don't i'm not sure but that's why i read so this is something that data won't tell you and sometimes someone because of someone that you heard something that you heard someone you believe you try it and the important thing is that when you have these things you need to try to go a little bit with either your heart or what your brain is telling you which not maybe in the data you just need to try to be quick in understanding if that is going in the right direction or not. So because if you cannot always go with, oh, my heart is telling me we should go that way. And this is uh, I, <laughs> super a lot of ego on that and strong on that. And then you get to a point after two years, yeah, ah, maybe it was not the best decision. So you need to be quick on that as well. But No, it's very interesting. Um, and, you know, in your in your experience, what are things to do to remove bias uh, in decision making when it comes to data, being data aware? Uh, yeah, so of course, there is one tool in user research that goes a lot with data, and we in researching that goes a lot with data, with user interviews and or the qualitative data. Those things you should want to match it more or less together and try to find what's the direction to go. So it's kind of getting confirmations of what you were initially believing, trying to see if there's other things that will uh, get you in the same direction or that will contradict what you have seen in the data. So you, you need to try to match both things That's on one side. Uh, then the other thing is, and this is, I think, I don't know if it's something that you can learn too, but uh, I think it's super important in product, but I think it's super important in your life, but I think it's super important in product, especially is to be, if, 
as free as you can of ego because ego is the, the thing that is taking you to to take decisions at the end and we all have ego and we will go with it and that's the reality but ego and dogmas in, in your life will actually sometimes it will help you to make good decisions i will say sometimes but most likely most times won't allow you to listen others around and and i think it's probably one of the of the issues we may have in, in product which is ego in product product people i, I think we are, we are we product tech people in there we are in a super amazing sector we have been growing like crazy we're in the top of the world and that can make your ego race and sometimes you take decisions that are have an amazing impact you are working in companies that are growing like crazy with amazing value and you say oh, we are in the best place ever and yeah. this, this is i I, ha- I know how to take decisions and i can take the decisions but okay take that always into account that maybe you're wrong this is something that okay make sure that you understand that there is a high possibility that you're wrong believe in you but always believing that you may be wrong yeah okay um next question i want to ask is a bit different it's about um well i can maybe start off like as a product studio we work with a lot of companies who claim themselves to be agile but Mm -hmm. in most cases they're really more waterfall or they're more hybrid you know waterfall and agile you know somewhere in between so it's always kind of difficult in order to um build product in under certain types of mindsets or methodology so i want to ask you um i think in your prior experience you mentioned before that there was companies that promoted themselves as agile but in in reality they're not abiding or adhering to what the principles are of agile so as a product manager in those situations, when you're in a company, um, what can you do uh, in order to like navigate through that? Yeah. Uh, yes, so let, let me start with one cl- cl- clarification, which uh, so as a concept, I think we all need to try to be agile, using the word agile, uh, because agile is used about trying to, to deliver value as soon as possible. Uh, to to the users that you have, and that should be a, in the mindset of anyone uh, or, or any company. It should be like, okay, you have an idea based on a problem that you have seen, and you want to give that to yourself so you can deliver value, and that they can say if it's in the good direction or not. So, under that concept, agile is a, an amazing thing. Uh, but it's important also to to be clear that every company is different, and you don't need just to follow the trend to follow a specific methodology that is uh, popular at this moment. So Agile, maybe talking more about Scrum, like oh, Scrum is the best methodology. Maybe it is for many people, but maybe it's not for you. Maybe Waterfall can be good for you. Probably I will almost go against that, but I may see at some point that maybe a Waterfall project may have sense. I don't know, it has not happened to me in the last years, but I may, I may go into that direction. So for, for me, the the first thing is that companies need to do retrospective, which is an agile, <laughs> agile concept, but I don't mean the agile concept needs to do retrospective into understanding themselves and what they are looking for. What is the best way for us to deliver value? And let's not just buy a preset methodology. Let's not just go with safe, scrum, uh, waterfall. Let's use what we find that is the best for us at this moment and change and adapt to it. You can do a project that where you're working in one week spring right now or a Canva and then you have another 
product or another feature that you are working in a different way because you need to do more discovery. Uh, you need to have uh, longer uh, pieces of work because you have much more technical uh, backend information that you need to create. So that may happen. So be honest to, to yourselves as a company, be honest on what you're looking for and you set up to it change uh, because you have a team that you have been working in two weeks sprints during the last six weeks doesn't mean that you cannot change now to a break where you will work only two months focus on, on that and deliver something maybe you are doing a, a a new product and you don't want to deliver anything in the next two weeks you just want two months to deliver a full solution that you will test a full mvp that you will test that can happen um, and yes be, be honest about that um and don't, don't focus on a trend. Look at the market and read about, uh, a lot about the articles around. There are many uh, good people writing amazing things. So you can take the decision the way you want to work with the most information possible, be, uh, but being realistic with what you have in your company. Okay. Um, next question I have is around discovery. So I've spoken to so many different PMs and always I get varying answers or, you know, approaches, but I want to ask you how much time, how much time should product managers spend in discovery when they're working on a new product or in also the whole concept of this, of continuous discovery where they're constantly, um, working on refining their product. Yeah, I would say that almost as a concept, as little as possible, <laughs> as, as, as a, as a idea, but that doesn't actually give you an answer because that can be uh, like that. But you, you need to, what you need to do when you are doing discovery, uh, or a couple of things that I think are quite quite important. Uh, one is that uh, the longer the discovery you do, uh, the farther away you are to actually give a solution that will match what you were actually discovering at the beginning. So you can do a discovery of one, two years, and work today moves extremely fast. I, I don't know, I, wasn't, I was not working 40 years ago, but I'm pretty sure that 40 years ago, when you were developing something, when you were creating something, you have more time to do discovery, research, put in the market, and then see how it goes. Today, you don't have this time. Uh, everything is faster, everything. You, you may have an idea today, that may be super valuable today and be useless in one year from now. So taking that into into account, you need to try to shorten discovery so you can deliver things. Which doesn't mean that when you're doing discovery, you are not including certain deliveries to see if the discovery that you're doing is, is right. So it's a constant slope. So uh, do discovery, but very close together with delivery as much as you can, include people from the discovery from the beginning. So your discovery, even if it's long, doesn't feel like you are not delivering anything. Mm -hmm. And actually it doesn't mean that you are not delivering anything. That's not just discovery. So as a concept, it should be as small as possible, but that doesn't mean that you may spend one year on a discovery phase, but that you have in delivery in, in, in between. So you are actually uh, testing what you have. That's one thing on discovery. And another thing that, that that you need to do with discoveries uh, and it's a warning thing but not necessarily you will do it but the warning i think is incorrect that make actually take you to have a bit longer discovery if you're more open is sometimes when when you do discoveries what you, what you say and discover when you deliver something as well you you say that uh, your discovery is to validate your assumptions. So you have assumptions and you want to validate that. And I think that's an incorrect thing to, to go into discovery because the, the work actually validate, also you have a bigger meaning, actually uh, start with a concept that your assumptions 
are probably right and you need to just validate that they're right uh, and when i start a discovery i say let's do just a discovery with assumptions to see if they are wrong <laughs> just to change a bit the, the wording because again and that's what happens sometimes and this is a bit with what we were talking before how do you eliminate bias in data in user research in anything you do quantitative and qualitative you start with the wording don't don't go into assumptions validation you go into assumptions that you need to check if they're right or wrong because if you start with the concept of validating you're probably going to find out that your assumptions are right which is what happens in most of the discoveries that, that you started with an assumption and then you just validate that and say yeah this is correct and then that's not necessarily the the proper solution mm -hmm. okay um and uh before we i go to some next questions which are um going to be asking more about the product management specifically i want to ask you about tools um what you know, you've been a product manager for a while. What kind of tools um, have you used that you found to be very useful that help kind of make, help you day to day to make decisions or anything like that? Is there anything you could share? Yeah, so I, I, to, to be very, very straight about it, and I wish only one because there are plenty of tools that, that we use on a day to day that are very useful. Uh, one of the tools that I like the most and is going into the data, data world is Amplitude. Uh, amplitude is not the only one doing it, it's the one that I have more experience with because I think it's one of the most powerful ways to actually understand what your users are doing in your product. So of course Amplitude is more useful when you have a real product, so if you are just not having anything and you want to validate that, that won't give you that many insights. But when you have a product and you want to see what are the actual issues in, in your product? Where you are dropping your users? When are they stop? When they stop doing something? Uh, if you implement the right amplitude, it tells you everything, almost everything. Then you need to go into user into user interviews to try to understand maybe why they don't follow a flow or something. But you have defined that a product should a user to complete an action should do A, B, C, and then you see that. 80% of your users stop at B amplitude tells you that and then you know that potentially you have an issue in B after B people don't know what to do or after B people go to a help button or after B people just stop being angry and move the mouse around like crazy <laughs> so uh, missing amplitude with other tools you can get all this info but amplitude is the first source of information for this to to have data there is just no there is just no feel good data. It's not like MPS score with you can change in many different ways. It's just data that is valuable for you that can make you feel bad in a good way. Let's say like okay, this is where we're doing it bad and we need to change it. But it's good that we know where we're doing it bad. Okay, amplitude, yeah, definitely. I'll check it out yeah. and we'll link yeah. it into this episode. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, before we get into fireside questions, I want to ask you a question which I always like asking everybody is what do you feel product managers or even product directors do that won't get them a great product at the end of the day uh, yeah so i i answered that first i think it's ego and ego ego uh, yeah ego ego yeah i think that's that's it we uh, you can put it in a nicer word like bias ego uh, but it's eliminate that for from your mind as much as you can uh, what you have in your mind is not necessarily a good solution um, and on that note, I mean, what what are some of the steps you've seen in the past working on product that were skipped, which led to some poor outcome? Uh, talking to to users, uh, talking to, talking to users. And when I say users, 
not, not only users, it's, uh, because I because my background is very B two B, and so my users are different. But even in B two C, because I also have work in B two C, I believe that even inside your company, you have a lot of people that know more than you. A lot of people, and talking to them. Mm. It was, will actually help you. So as a product manager, we, we, we need to be the owners. We need to know a lot of things, and we need to be super knowledgeable about the sector, the market, the product, and everything. But almost in everything that you need to be super good at, there is someone that knows more than you. So get to that person, because they will tell you the people that is talking, uh, that is solving customer cases, the people that is doing sales, the people that is managing relationship with clients, uh, and these people know, not necessarily more than you, but know things that you don't know that will give you amazing uh, information about the things that you need to do. Okay. Okay, cool. I'm going to jump into the fireside question. So the format is question, answer, try to keep it one to two sentences uh, yeah. as a response. Okay. So the first question I want to ask is how do you ask better questions when building product? Yeah. Uh, uh, keep it. Start with keeping it open questions. Uh, don't when when you when you try to just get yes or no answer questions. You try to guide that yes or no answer. So if you keep it open, you open. Maybe record everything, and then you will listen again, and then you can refine that. But start with open questions. Okay. Uh, what? What is an interesting one? What are aspects of product development money can't fix? like tons of things, <laughs> millions, millions of things. So uh, going faster, I, I would say that going faster, like delivering something faster, money won't, won't give you that. Uh, and even if it gives you that, the scenario will give you the right thing. Okay. But most likely won't be able to give you that. Okay, awesome. And over the years as being a PM, what are specific things you've become better at saying no to? Uh, <laughs> So basic, basically, use of urgent things coming into my plate. So I, in a very nice way, I try, I negotiate, I'm a good negotiator, and I always give something in exchange. But anything that comes as urgent thing probably have the wrong solution in it. And I, I just to take into account, I have worked in highly regulated industry with urgency things happening like HR payroll sector, now in banking. Uh, if you don't pay a salary, it's a, it's a very impactful thing. If you don't do a transfer, it's a very impactful thing. So, uh, but we need to learn to say no to this is urgent. Okay, let's see what we can do. Okay. Um, if, you, if you could only, and you, you had if you were only to work five hours a week on something in product, what would you want to spend those five hours on? <laughs> Back with the beginning of the, of the interview, data, probably, sorry about saying that. But if I could only work five hours, I will spend probably at least 60, 70% of it on data. Because if you don't have the time to do more, I think data is the most powerful. As much as I think we should be data aware. Uh, but I would say like six, seven, uh, well, sorry, 60, 70% 60, in data and the 30% talking to, to users or subject matter experts. Okay, love it. Um, what, is there any controversial, controversial views you hold in your profession as a product? Uh, we, uh, you, you, yeah, to put it like that, not... Uh, 
uh, again align with what we were saying before. Uh, agile Scrum or any methodology around Agile is not good just because it's popular. Mm. Uh, maybe it's not that controversial because many people have this belief. But yeah, uh, okay. Adapt, adapt to yourself. All right, adapt to yourself. I love it. Okay. Mm. Um, this is uh, more of like a, some of the my next questions are more life personal ones. So, yeah. what what profession other than what you're doing now would you like to attempt if you had the opportunity? Ah, yeah, I. No, I could, I could be a carpenter. <laughs> That's a different, totally different type of profession, but it's something that I, I like. And it's creating something. It's a different way of creating something. So now I create software. It's, now it's creating hardware for the same way. <laughs> okay. Um, and in your time to date um, in product manager, what has been one of the, one of the most or two uh, most valuable investments you've made in yourself? Yeah, so um, I I don't know if it's something that comes a little with personality, but I have done done some trainings on negotiating skills. Uh, that's super valuable, and something that I need to improve, but it has helped already. Is public speaking. I have done some trainings. I need to get better. I need to do better trainings on that. Uh, but and not necessarily public speaking. It's like storytelling more than public speaking. Like mm -hmm. if you know how to tell a story, you will. You need to be careful with that because I can increase your ego, ego, and then you will believe that people is people can buy your story, not necessarily the right thing. But uh, if you're humble about it, it's an amazing thing. Okay. Um, last question on the fireside uh, format: uh, What are what are one or two books that you've read that have greatly influenced your life? Uh, related to product or in general? Uh, in general, or it could be related to product. Yeah. Okay, so related to to, to product, uh, so I, I will say Marty Kagan's books, uh, inspiration. Sorry, I forgot the name. I have it there. So well, there is there is Empowered, and yeah. and there's uh, the first one. So those, those are very two good product. Uh, be be very open aware that sometimes these leaders will tell you super nice stories, and that not necessary how it would work in your company, but it can help you believe what's the ideal situation. Uh, so that's on a product side. And on a personal note, uh, like may maybe I, I would say like many, 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 many years ago when I was a teenage, uh, there, there is a book that is called uh, Etica Paramador. It's a Spanish writer. It's about ethics. It's about philosophy at the end, and it's about helping you understand and what we're saying that there are many different views, and you are not always right. And you have it's more about that, but it's about like remove the ego from yourself and open your mind. It's a being mind open. So, mm -hmm. so okay. something like if I, I say, so I say, a book I would recommend for teenagers because it's a it's more a teenage book, but if you haven't read it, it's still good. Uh, and it will get you in the right direction for, for your brain. Yeah. I no, I, I love the point about um, the ego. Huh. I've seen so many times some product leaders, even people who call themselves innovators, who just put their ego first and doesn't help them, it doesn't help their team, doesn't hmm. help the product at the end of the day. And it's really unfortunate when that happens. Yeah. So very, very good point. 
Um, okay, so this was great. Uh, Eduardo, uh, it was a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with us today. And as always, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and supporting the show and uh, keep keep growing our uh, our reach. So thank you, everybody. Be the